This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to pick up where we left off, I think, a couple weeks back in talking about uh, this issue of uh, gay marriage. And joining us to do just that will be someone who won an award for a piece he did on Proposition 22 a few years back. That would be Stephen Valentino, the former general manager at KDVS, and before that, when he was in high school, a DJ at KZFR in Chico. He's currently working in the Big Apple for uh, Sirius Satellite Radio and uh, should provide us with a provocative discussion in segment two. Stay tuned for that. And also, our good pal Will Durst is coming to town tonight. So in our third segment today, we'll have a little uh, a little bit of a more lengthy chat with uh, Will, whose uh, two-minute or uh, so-long commentaries are a staple of this program. He is, of course, America's foremost political comic. Let us commence the show as you'd like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is July the 24th. It was on this date in 1847 when, after 17 months and many miles of travel, Brigham Young led 148 Mormon pioneers into Utah's Valley of the Great Salt Lake. Gazing over the parched earth of this remote location, he declared, This is the place. Within days, Brigham Young and his companions began building the future Salt Lake City. On July 24, 1911, the lost city of the Incas, Vilcapampa, now called Machu Picchu, was discovered by American explorer, and I believe Mormon, Hiram Bigham. It is where the last Incan emperors found refuge from the Spanish conquistadores. And it was on this date, in 1933, that the first successful lung removal operation was performed by Dr. W.F. Reinhoff, Jr. in Baltimore, Maryland. What with smoking having gained popularity just a couple decades before, more such operations would follow. Born on this date, that would be in 1783, Simone Bolivar, South American liberator, and in 1802, Alexander Dumas, the French playwright and novelist. And our quote of the day comes from Alexander Dumas, who once said, All generalizations are dangerous, even this one. Our quip of the day comes from Paul Johnson, who said, It's a fact of life that any discourse on any subject, whatever the occasion and whatever the status of the speaker, will always please if it is five minutes shorter than people expect. Our stat of the day, 5% of Americans spend 41 or more hours online at home every week. That's about six hours a day. Presumably the other 95% of us spend less. And our joke of the day, I think we used this one last year, but what the hell, let's do it again. A woman in her 80s made the local paper for getting married for the fourth time. The reporter asked her to share something of her experiences and how it felt to be married again, this time to a funeral director. She explained that she'd first married a banker in her 20s, then a stand-up comic when she was in her 40s. In her 60s, she married a pastor, and now in her 80s, it was the funeral director. Asked about her odd assortment of husbands, Banker, comic, pastor, and now funeral home director, she explained they all made perfect sense. She said, the way I saw it, I married one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
According to The Week magazine, it was a good week a couple weeks back for getting some relief. After a Nevada brothel offered an incentive of $50 gas vouchers to all clients who purchased $300 worth of services. The vouchers sold out in a week. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for the American Family Association, which got an unintended result when it used an auto-replace filter to change inappropriate words such as gay in the news stories on its website. A story on the American sprinter Tyson Gay was headlined, Homosexual eases into 100-meter final at the Olympic trials. The article repeatedly referred to him as Tyson Homosexual. And it was an ugly week a couple weeks back for the United States Mint, which was forced to reject a proposed design for its commemorative quarter collection. The Mint nixed the District of Columbia's plan to print taxation without representation on its quarter due out in 2009. Because, in fact, the district does not have a vote in Congress. All right, let's do a bit of follow-up. We talked a few weeks back about how George W. Bush thinks that, uh, that going back to offshore drilling is going to fix things in terms of the oil market. We got this email from Sean that said the following. There's something about this oil drilling thing that's confusing me. It seem, seems that no one's talking about it. Let's say we drill in the Anwar or off Santa Barbara or Miami or in your backyard. and Let's say that our magical drilling rig hits oil tomorrow and that the oil hits the market the next week. Furthermore, let's say that it's the biggest oil well ever. It produces 100,000 times more than any other well in history. In fact, it's pumping 1% of the world's oil supply. Furthermore, let's assume there is a one-to-one -one relationship with the price of gas so that a 1% change in oil supply will result in a 1% change in the price of gas. Thus, this oil well will single-handedly reduce the price of gas in the U.S. by more than 1%, which would be about a nickel. So ask Sean, uh, am I missing something here? Actually, I, I don't think he's missing a thing. Um, we heard from our aviation correspondent, uh, Vladimir Zaravika, some years back, or maybe I guess this was last year, talking about flying over the Anwar. And he had a very low opinion of it as a, uh, as a wildlife area, feeling uh, in his mind that it was no different than any other bit of tundra up there a few miles away. He suggested that it might be just as sensible to designate something else nearby as the wildlife refuge and go drill in the Anwar if that's where the oil is. This is not to say, of course, this will do anything to relieve, uh, you know, our, our problem with the dependency on foreign oil here in the lower 48. In fact, it's a little known fact that the oil from the Alaska pipeline goes to Japan. I don't know if all of it goes there, but I, I certainly think the vast majority of it goes to Japan because shipping costs are lower. The Japanese would rather buy oil from Alaska than have it shipped in from the Persian Gulf. We'd also refer you to the article in the San Francisco Chronicle, David Ivanovich and Kristen Hayes, reprinted from the Houston Chronicle, reminding us that when the Union Oil Company well, uh, six miles off California, blew out in January of 1969, an estimated 80,000 barrels of crude spewed into the Santa Barbara Channel, fouling beaches and marring the offshore industry's reputation. Noted the authors, when the nation is now debating whether to open more areas offshore to oil and gas drilling, the oil industry can rightly claim it has avoided a repeat of that catastrophe, even as offshore activity has ballooned. But uh, the article notes that offshore operators continue to spill thousands of barrels of oil, 
fuel and chemicals into federal waters every year, according to government records. The article further noted that that Santa Barbara uh, incident was uh, far from the biggest offshore accident. Uh, That distinction goes to what was then humble oil, which spilled 161,000 barrels of crude off Louisiana in 1967 when an anchor damaged a submerged pipeline. So, in short, drilling offshore, mm, maybe not such a good idea. And I think we made passing mention of this a few weeks back, but I did like the fact that Newsweek magazine uh, awarded T. Boone Pickens a score of 24 on the Dignity Index. Uh, Zero being considered mildly tacky, whereas 100 is utterly shameless. Pickens earned this distinction by reneging on his vow to pay $1 million to anyone who provides proof that the swift boat vets for truth were wrong about John Kerry. Since they were wrong about John Kerry, I would say that T. Boone Pickens just saved himself a cool million. Of course, this makes him an even bigger weasel. But I do have to say that Karl Rove outdid Pickens, scoring a 78 on this same scale, when he said that uh, Barack Obama, quote, was the guy at the country club who makes snide comments about everyone. Noted the magazine. The best part about it, Rove made his snide comment at the Capitol Hill Club. And although this was not, a, not an email to us, we did like a letter to the editor in the San Francisco Chronicle from Irene Croft from San Rafael talking about uh, this boneheaded idea that we should be teaching algebra to eighth graders. Said Irene Croft, I'm afraid I don't understand the mystique of algebra, and I'm an ex-math teacher. I'd like to know how many members of the State Board of Education use algebra in their everyday lives, and how many of them have to deal with mortgage interest and interest on credit cards. Considering the mortgage meltdown, I think a required course for 8th graders in what one might call consumer math would be a lot more valuable. Here, here. And I must say, we mentioned Newsweek a second ago. We don't, we don't use Newsweek a lot on this program. And, and uh, one reason is, looking at the June 9th issue of Newsweek, there was a, and it was called the Periscope section. It listed what were supposed to be five books, why not, correction, six books under the title of Bushwhacking. So one would assume that these were six books that attacked George W. Bush. And while it's true that Scott McClellan's uh, recent book, What Happened, along with Richard Clark's book, Against All Enemies, and Paul O'Neill's book, The Price of Loyalty, are all highly critical of Bush, uh, George Tennant's book, At the Center of the Storm, uh, was really much harder on uh, Bush's circle than it was on, uh, on the Prez himself. But for some reason, Newsweek decided to include Ari Fleischer's Taking Heat and Douglas Fyth's War and decision in under this bushwhacking category. These are both bush. These are both books that utterly praise the president. Fleischer called Bush one of the most uplifting, humorous bosses you'll ever find. Whereas Fife defends Bush by bashing the CIA for its supposed WMD intelligence failures. I don't know. It seems to me if you're going to have a Periscope and it's going to be titled Bushwhacking, why don't you talk about the four books that actually take a whack at Bush? Another magazine we've been kind of down on, uh, Discover, for the fact that it's kind of uh, gone people-ish. It seems you're making something of a comeback. The writing looks a little bit better. And they did have in their recent issue uh, an article titled, 20 Things You Didn't Know About Oil. Although it didn't say anything about offshore drilling, it did note that uh, the recipe for gasoline is quite a complex thing. Depending on the blend, gas can contain between 150 and 1,000 different chemical compounds. 
So the magazine also included a tip for trippers, it said, noting that if you keep your windows closed at high speeds, you'll do better. The drag from open windows can reduce a car's fuel efficiency by 10%. And I like these two items. If you're a creationist, crude oil was formed by thousands of years of heat and pressure applied to the carcasses of plants and animals that died in the Great Flood. If you're not a creationist, you think oil comes from dinosaurs, right? Well, in fact, almost all oil comes from pressure-cooking dead zooplankton and algae. That's pond scum, which are among the oldest and most abundant life forms on Earth. And a final item about oil and gasoline, which does not come from Discover Magazine, but in fact comes from Bill Wattenberg, uh, a fixture on KGO Radio for the past several decades, would be the following. When you gas up your car, use regular gasoline. There is no reason ever to use premium gasoline if your car was purchased any time and, well, since the Nixon administration. I'm somewhat horrified when I'm, you know, standing there in the gas station. I see people pumping premium into their cars when they don't need it. Dr. Wattenberg pointed out correctly many, many years ago when I was listening that this is wasting your money. I stopped doing it, uh, I don't know, back in the 1980s when I figured he was right, being a smart guy, knowledgeable about such things, and my cars have done fine. So, if you're pumping premium, stop immediately. Then please, send the money you save to Radio Parallax. Actually, I'm just kidding. You can't send it to us. I wish you could, but you can't. We do always welcome your emails, however, which would go to info at radioparallax.com. All right, we're going to talk politics with Will Durst, of course, in our third segment, but here's a couple items I can't help but uh, but mention. Apparently, conservative Christian leader James Dobson has softened his stance against John McCain. On a radio broadcast earlier this week, Dobson said, I never thought I would hear myself say this. While I'm not endorsing Senator John McCain, the possibility is there that I might. Apparently, Dobson and other evangelical leaders are they were unimpressed by McCain, but they're increasingly taking a lesser of two evils approach to the 2008 race. Said Dobson, Barack Obama contradicts and threatens everything I believe about the institution of the family and what is best for the nation. His radical positions on life, marriage, and national security force me to reevaluate the candidacy of our only other choice, John McCain. And although Reverend Dobson doesn't actually say, say this, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, that Radio Parallax contradicts and threatens everything that the Reverend believes about the institution of the family. And here's a headline that caught, uh, caught my eye from the Sacramento Bee, July 19th. State viewers' views on Bush sink further. Apparently here in California, George Bush's approval ratings are now the lowest ever recorded. Of, of course, we should clarify, they only began tracking such things in 1961. George W. Bush's disapproval rating stands at 71%, which, frankly, we don't find odd. What strikes us as bizarre is the fact that 24% of people in California approve of the job that George W. Bush is doing. And curiously, among Republicans, more approve of Bush than disapprove by a 54 to 38% margin. And no, we're, we're not sure what they're smoking. And how about this item? Apparently, Bob Barr, arch-Republican, has managed to steal the Libertarian nomination for president. Our suspicion is that Bob Barr is running on Republican money. 
Although we're not sure the case for this is as clear as it surely seems to be for Cynthia McKinney running as the Green Party standard bearer. Of course, the reporting I've seen seems to indicate that Republicans are worried about Barr taking more, uh, you know, libertarian-type Republican votes away from the GOP than he would from Barack Obama. I don't know. We'll continue to watch that one. Our suspicion is that Ron Paul, who ran as a libertarian some time ago, uh, has probably been maneuvered into staying into the Republican Party and uh, probably going to the convention, I guess, uh, in, in, in Minnesota. Uh, because you know, I'm sure he'll do less harm than he would be when he would as the libertarian standard bearer. Anyway, it's a dirty business politics. And a final bit of political dirty business: we'd like to refer you to uh, the current issue of Mother Jones. Their article titled "December Surprise" asks the question of whether the GOP is cooking the books to avoid a recession until after Election Day. The, this issue of the magazine is well worth having just uh, just for the timeline it presents by uh, Nomi Prins about the whole um, the whole housing crisis in this country and who was basically pushing it. Very very interesting stuff. As was the article by David Korn talking about uh, <laughs> foreclosure Phil, for former Senator Phil Graham, who's considered by John McCain to be his economic advisor. Now, unless you're in the housing industry, you've probably never heard of the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933, which separated commercial banks uh, from uh, investment banks. But, um, well, a lot of people on Wall Street just didn't like this idea of having too much fiscal responsibility. And enter Phil Graham. In 1999, Senator Phil uh, pushed through a banking deregulation bill that uh, decimated uh, the uh, Glass-Steagall Act. Grandma pulled this stunt off while the nation was transfixed on the Bush versus Gore uh, battle going on. It turns out this 262-page measure that, uh, that, uh, that Phil Graham slipped by while nobody was looking uh, contains a provision that lobbied was lobbied for by Enron, uh, by the way, a generous contributor to Senator Graham, that exempted energy trading from regulatory oversight. This allowed Enron to run rampant and wreck the California energy market. And oddly enough, it turns out that Wendy Graham, Phil's wife, uh, was on the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC, and uh, while, while serving there, pushed through a rule that excluded Enron's energy futures contracts from all government oversight. Oh, and Wendy, probably a good career move for her, she later joined Enron's board. Noted David Korn in the article, her Enron salary and stock income brought between 915 and 1.8 million dollars into the Graham household. Anyway, we don't have time to detail this article, but I would really highly refer you to Mother Jones for the timeline titled Where Credit is Due. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.